In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place, where history academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. We're your hosts, Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. So hold on to your helmets for this episode of that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. listeners may notice that we are doing yet another Women's History Month podcast episode in not Women's History Month. How dare we talk about women again? (laughs) There was just too much to talk about, you know? There's a lot of material here. We're trying to uh, kind of encapsulate half the population for a big period of time, so... I think let's let's just do it in April as well. Does that okay. sound all right? Yeah. yeah, that's fine. Yeah, then we'll get back to another 10 months of men. Yes. <laughs> so what are we going to talk about today? So how about today? We've already spoken about women and uh, their link with battle and warfare, the Valkyries and whatnot. Yeah. Why not women and magic this time? I love that. So, I mean, women and magic kind of has a, a couple of different things for me, but like, are we talking like witchcraft and things like that? All sorts of weird, spooky shenanigans, which have a female thread running through them all. Not Ooh, to make a bad I was going to say a thread. <laughs> Keep doing it. So where should we start then? Let's start with the weirdest and strangest of magical women in Norse mythology, the Norns. Now, I know a tiny, tiny little bit about the Norns because if our listeners have watched our Twitch stream, uh, which is still available on YouTube, by the way, um, we meet the Norns there. They're like these three kind of uh, women who won't talk to the character uh, in Assassin's Creed and they're they're standing there weaving. They're, they're a bit spooky. Yes, they are. That pretty much summarizes the whole episode. Bye, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the Norns? It's it kind of it doesn't really explain it very well in the game. Neither does the mythology. What are the Norns? What are the Norns? Snorri would have told us. So <laughs> they get mentioned in passing quite a lot, but we don't know exactly who they are or where they've come from. Okay. So in uh, Volusper, that poem where we get loads and loads of mythology, we get the names of three Norns: Urdur, Vedandi and Skuld. Lovely. Yeah, pretty names, aren't they? (laughs) Little baby Skuld. (laughs) And they apparently carve men's fate on sticks of wood. We get other mentions which seem to link textiles to them, kind of determining fate as well. So I think they went for the weaving Weaving, in Assassin's Creed rather than chiselling a a twig. A stick, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... We don't know if these three norms are particularly... if they've got special roles, like it's one past, one present, one future... Maybe, maybe not. Um, we also don't know where they came from or what they do besides carving bits of wood. What what they do on their days off? No idea. Uh, interestingly, the Norns, as I said, they're mentioned in passing quite often. They're rarely the prime focus of a story or poem. So, for instance, characters like Odin often want to know the future... They never go to the Norns for some reason. You'd think they'd be your... They would be like the the people you'd want to ask. If they're literally writing the future, they should surely be able to tell you about it. Yeah, can I check your stick or your tapestry? (laughs) It's not even an option that's presented. So Odin often has to like resurrect a dead witch or a dead giantess. Interestingly, always a woman as well that gets resurrected. Hmm. But the Norns aren't very chatty. I don't think there's any dialogue that a Norn actually says. No spoken words that survives in any poems. They're too busy. They have to write all of the future of everyone. Weaving takes up a lot of time. It does. Yeah, we learned about the, that in a previous the tragedy episode. tragedy of being a woman in the early medieval <laughs> period. 
And they're also never there at those cool parties that all the obscure gods attend. Uh, That's not a way to win favor for someone who's literally deciding your fate, but... They're, they're too cool to go, maybe. Oh, yeah, they're, they're the cool girls who are like, oh, we don't want to go to all the parties the rest of you go to. So they've got this connection with destiny, fate, and prophecy, and that's a theme that runs throughout Viking women and magic in the whole of mythology and saga literature. I mean, it's an interesting idea that the Norns, I mean, are they they making decisions for people then? Possibly, yeah. It, it, it raises all sorts of weird questions about free will and fates, so do we ever make decisions ourselves? Yeah. Or are the Norns deciding things for us? Uh, so, for example, we spoke last time about the Valkyries, yeah. who choose who goes to Valhalla. Do they? Oh, right. Or are the Norns writing who they will choose? Yeah. Interesting. So we're probably thinking too much about this, to be <laughs> honest, more than the people who wrote the poems actually did. But also, have the Norns always existed? Are they timeless? So were they there before everything? And then wrote the creation of yeah. it. Mm, did I they don't know. carve a stick in the nothingness of nothingness? And... Where'd they get the stick from? I don't know. <laughs> um, it was always destined to be there, maybe. They didn't choose for it to be there. <laughs> It's very, very en enigmatic. But along with those primary three, they're the ones that you tend to see in popular culture depictions of the Norns. There seem to be lots and lots and lots of others. So, for example, in the poem Favnismal, where the dragon Favnir is dying and then starts talking about mythology trivia, as you do. Uh, when you're of course, there. that's yeah, what I plan on doing. He tells us that Norns are a very diverse parentage, and they don't have a common ancestry. Like the Valkyries. Yes, so there's a lot of parallels here with the Valkyries. Some are descended from gods, some are from elves, and some are from dwarves. So... How do you become a Norn? You're not born a Norn, clearly, then, are you? So um, I maybe like the Valkyries. Maybe there is, like, an employment centre just for Norns and Valkyries. Yeah. Do you want to be a woman in magic? Come join us today. Yeah, something like that. It also raises the question of those three named Norns. Are they particularly special? Or is there just some fluke of the way that early medieval literature has survived? Those three names just happen to have survived into modern times. Or are they the Norn queens? Are they in charge of the whole organisation or something Fair. like that? Are they the shift supervisors <laughs> or something? So lots and lots of mysteries with the Norns. We occasionally see a concept of people or families having something like a guardian Norn that d determines an individual fate. So that's interesting. That is interesting, especially like a guardian Norn. But what if they really hate the family, you know? Yeah, well, that does seem to happen sometimes <laughs> as well. So we've got this kind of idea there are these three Norns determining the fate of the universe and also someone going, and then he shall eat a cheese sandwich <laughs> and not like it very much. Um, <laughs> doing the nitty gritty of daily life. Maybe there are, there's a hierarchy of Norns, who knows? It's interesting though that you can never buy bargain with a Norn, and you can't threaten them to change fates. In fact, no one ever even tries to do this. Ooh, it's that pointless. Yeah, so uh, Odin, for example, is the prime example of someone trying to change his fate. He doesn't go to the Norns and go, hey girls, could you maybe not make Ragnarok happen? It doesn't cross his mind at all. He tries to build an army in Valhalla in a tragic and futile attempt to avert his own death. And interestingly, Saga characters are much more chill about this. When they learn what the Norns have in store for them, they'll say something like, you know, at the age of 19, you'll be disemboweled. They go, oh, whatever, case sera. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can ever change their fates. It's told to us that no man can live a single evening after the decree of the Norns. And we even hear about evil Norns as well. 
In the saga of uh, King Hadrek the Wise, we're told the judgment of the Norns has been evil, and Snorri in the prose editor tells us there are good Norns, ones of noble parentage, and they shape good lives. But as for those people who become the victims of misfortune, it is evil Norns that are responsible. So, so a bit of a casual like classism, yeah. you know, noble parentage, good Norns. Yeah, rich, fancy Norns. Yep. And if you're poor, you get an evil Norn because you must be evil Bad, if you're yeah. poor. Like you good brought it people on yourself, don't have obviously. poverty. <laughs> Uh, so the Norns aren't neutral, judging by that quote, That's which is strange, because we imagine fate and destiny to be this big theme with no emotion to it or yeah. anything, but some can be wicked and vindictive, apparently. It, it is. It's interesting that kind of in a very patriarchal society, it's women who are making all the decisions in, in their own mythology. You know, they believe that women are behind everything. Yeah. So in the literature, all the main characters are kings and male warriors and male gods. But actually, there's a group of women in the shadows yeah. <laughs> telling them what to do. Basically. I mean, that it's that's not the most unrealistic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Today, we're sponsored by the award-winning Nidhogger Mead. Nidhogger mead is made with all natural ingredients and locally sourced Yorkshire honey. So Lucas, we know that the Vikings drank mead, but what's your favourite flavour? I love a horn full of Nidhogger's tangy lemon and lime mead. That's a good one, but my favourite is the elderflower mead. Good on its own or great in cocktails. You can buy your own bottle of Nidhogger mead in the shop at the Jorvik Viking Centre or by visiting nidhoggermead.co.uk. That's N-I-D... H-O-G-G-R-M-E-A-D dot co dot U-K. And if you enjoy Nidhogger Mead, give them a like on Facebook. Um, so what about kind of magic in general? I mean, were there witches and, and people who were, you know, practicing kind of spells and, and, and like leaning over like a bubbling cauldron, you know? Something of that flavour, yeah, definitely. So if we step away from women who determine the fate of all existence and reality... <laughs> We have women who do other sorts of magic spells, and it's almost always women who do it. And this connection between women and magic, it goes all the way back to pre-Viking times. There are Roman accounts of Germanic Northern Europeans, and there are passing mentions of Germanic women who are considered holy, who offer advice and predict the future. So it's a very long-running theme in Northern Europe. So we've chatted a bit in the previous episode about different categories of magic. That was back in episode 41, The Secrets of Viking Sorcery. That was a very good episode, yeah. yeah. Do check that out if you've not heard it already. But we mentioned in that episode a type of magic called Seder. Yes. So this one, it can mean something like uh, black magic or witchcraft in some translations. And it's very, very often linked with women. So women who do this magic, there are all sorts of supernatural things they can do. We've got healing, prophecy, and protection. So there's all sorts of examples where healing happens. Do you remember that story when the toe got ripped off and thrown into space and yes. became a star? Yeah. Thor tells that story whilst a woman named Groa is healing him with magic. Huh. So very nice. Doesn't go to Odin to heal him. Goes to a lady to heal him. Uh, prophecy is the main thing that we see, though. And um, it's almost always women who do prophecy. And they often seem to be raised up on a high platform and commune with spirits to let them see the future. Interesting. So there's possibly a link there with the Norns. We've got, you know, destiny, what, what's in store for you. And actually, the, the best example of this is from the Saga of Eric the Red. So that's one where they go to America, of course. Yes. Yeah. 
The America stuff is fine. It's, it's relatively interesting. There's some crazy stuff that happens in this saga, though. There's, like, zombies and stuff. And there's also this magical scene where we meet a woman named Thorbjorg, the little prophetess. And this whole scene is very much dominated by women. So Thorbjorg is one of ten sisters, all with the power of prophecy. And she travels around using her magical powers to predict the future for different people. We get this very elaborate description of what she ate. It's a porridge of kid's milk with the hearts of all types of creatures. So spooky stuff. We get a really, really elaborate description of her outfit. It's very long, so I won't go into the full thing here, I think. But there are all sorts of strange things, like uh, white catskin gloves, a staff with a knob on top of it, a charm belt with a large purse, and lots and lots and lots of catskin. It's interesting, though, because, like, I mean, one thing that you've kind of really reiterated over and over again in these episodes is that there's no descriptions of anything. We don't know information about anything. But to get her an entire breakdown of her outfit yeah. feels very kind of particular. Like, why? Why, why have they gone into... Is it a uniform? Is this possibly, what every witch yeah. wears? Like Maybe it's just so exceptional. She is a witch because she's wearing this. A bit like maybe in a story we might go, she had a pointy hat. A pointy hat, hat and yeah. And sat in a broom. Oh, I can picture her now. She's a magical <laughs> person. But yeah, it's true in other stories. You're lucky to get a hair colour description. Yeah. Although Eric the Red, he had red hair. Yeah. I don't know what colour his top was. Was he wearing trousers that day? Was he going commando? I don't know. So it's really interesting, this very elaborate description of her magical, strange outfit. It feels important. Like, these are the things she has to wear to do her magic. Yeah, it raises the question of whether are they all wearing this sort of thing in the other stories too. So in the ceremony that she does, she asks the women in particular on this farm... Does anyone know these things called warlock songs? So these seem to be a magical song that attracts spirits. Luckily, one woman does. And what happens is Thorbjorg sits on a high platform whilst the women gather around her in a warding ring. She sings the chant beautifully and spirits come forth and reveal the future. So it's an entirely female-dominated scene here. There are definitely men on the farm they've been introduced in earlier in this kind of chapter but they need to take a step back yeah. magic's happening They're this like, is a woman's practice what is going on here this is crazy i'm gonna <laughs> go here and hit something with an axe in the background so it's very 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 much linked with women in this scene in the mythology as well it's um female goddesses that seem to be linked with magic too for example thor doesn't go around casting magic spells he smacks things over the head doesn't yeah. he There are some exceptions, like Odin, of course, but Freya is very much linked with magic and witchcraft. In the saga of the Inglings, we're actually told that Freya was the one who introduced the Asir, the family of gods, to the mysteries and secrets of Seder. She was a priestess adept in the mysteries. And she does all sorts of spooky magical things. She has her feather cloak, of course, popped up a few times in our Silly History Boys episode, (laughs) I think, didn't it? The feather cloak turns you into a bird. In the poem uh, Volaspor on Scammer, Freya uses her magic to turn her loyal servant Otar into a boar to keep him safe, not anything meaner. And she also <laughs> shields him from an undead witch's curse. But also she can do spooky things with this stuff as well. She also was the one who raised that undead witch in the first place. Interesting. So, a bit of necromancy. Yeah. And there's a really cool story, Sola Fata, where she curses two armies with a kind of immortal undeath. So they stab each other, you drop dead, 
then rise up again ten seconds later and keep fighting. Forever. Yeah, they oh. fight for over a century in that story. That's... So she can do some horrifying That's stuff twisted, well. I love it. We have other women using magic for animal transformations too. For example, Queen Gunhild turns into a bird here in York in Edel Saga. <laughs> so it happened right here, must be real. And also there's a really cool scene in Cormac's Saga where a walrus attacks his ship. But he sees its eyes are the eyes of a woman he knows from Iceland named Thorve. I'm just not sure I know anyone's eyes well enough to yeah. be able to be like, mm, that walrus has my friend's eyes. I'd be spooked by human eyes on a walrus, <laughs> I'd say, though. But they smack the walrus on the head with a staff, knocking it into the sea. At the same moment, Thorve mysteriously dies. Dun, dun, dun. So it's almost always women who are doing these amazing supernatural feats. Do men practice magic at all? Yes, sometimes. But it's weird. It's shameful. And it's a woman's skill. Therefore, it's unmanly. Now, that is the worst thing for a Viking due to toxic masculinity in the period. (laughs) That's sad. I feel like they're missing out on a lot of, uh, you know, different kind of skill sets to to make themselves better and stronger. It does sound much more exciting being a a female sorcerer than being a male warrior just kind of whacking things with sharp objects. Yeah. Yeah. So when a saga hero is presented with a magical option to beat their enemy, they often reject it in favour of just smacking it with something sharp instead. It's better to die manly than live girly, of course, for a Viking. Uh, We get this word, arger, which pops up when men practice magic, and it means something like unmanly, cowardly, effeminate, homosexual, or a sissy. And you don't want that. No, those toxic, (laughs) toxic Vikings. One notable male figure who practices magic, specifically Saver, is Odin. And Odin does some freaky stuff with this. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that they would say men who practice say they are unmanly, but then their, you know, all-father practices. Yeah. What's well, interesting, Thor is the most popular god, judging by the hammers. Fair. And Thor is uh, just a bloke who likes a beer and smacking things True. with a hammer. True. Odin, maybe ordinary people are a bit like, he's a bit dodged, isn't he, <laughs> Odin? <laughs> so in that poem, uh, Locusena, where they're all just being nasty around Loki's being nasty to everyone they're being nasty back at him Loki says to Odin be silent it's well known you have practiced Sather the magic of women and you lived upon the island of Samsoy where you worked your spells whilst dressed as a woman living as a witch amongst humans I call that a depraved way of living so is he wearing the outfits, I wonder? That thought, a, yeah, yeah, maybe. Wearing his lovely catskin gloves oh, or that's something. Nice. You never know. Uh, there are suggestions that it might actually be the case that to do the magic, you wear some special outfit. It's a woman's outfit. Therefore, for a man to do magic, you're crossing the gender boundary there a little bit, which is an interesting parallel to the shield maidens from yeah. last time. Taking on male names, male dress... So it's almost as if the occupation dictates the gender of the person doing it. Yeah. There's also, interestingly, a figurine from Denmark that was found not too long ago, which seems to show Odin sat on a throne with his ravens wearing women's clothes. Ooh, we'll definitely need to link a picture of that in the show notes. Hmm. So let's move on to the actual physical, like, 
proof. Yeah. The archaeology. Away from spooky walruses. <laughs> um, I mean, what, what proof do we have for this? What does the archaeology tell us? So, in archaeology, we do find the graves of women, which we think may have been seeresses, priestesses, and magical practitioners in the Viking Age. So, from the literature, we have different words to describe women who practice magic. And one very common one is vulva. Right. And that word comes from the noun voler. And a voler is a magical staff or a wand. So a bit like a sort of Harry Potter <laughs> magic wand, but much bigger, I would imagine. Volva is a staff woman, a wand woman. And these particular rods or staffs have been found from the burials of women across the Viking world. Over 50 are known. Amazing. Do you want to tell us about a few of them? Yeah, sure. So it's clearly an important accessory for magic. And these graves they're founding, they often seem to be full of very fancy stuff, which suggests that the seeresses or magical people, they belong to the upper ranks of society socially. So one very famous burial of a woman is the Osseberg ship burial, of course. There is loads of fancy stuff there, way too much to list. You've got stuff like tapestries and wagons, etc. But also, one of these rods, this staff, is found in this burial, and a purse of cannabis seeds, interestingly. Ooh. So, like a spooky potion ingredient yeah, there. Yeah. Another really interesting one is the Pagan Lady of Peel. And we were very lucky that a few years ago, uh, they kindly lent us a few of the artefacts from that burial. Uh, not there anymore, unfortunately. Go to the Isle of Man to see them <laughs> if you want to see these objects. So it's this particular burial was from a graveyard where there were dozens and dozens of burials, but her one was by far the richest. Uh, the grave goods show she was a very high social status, very important to the community, and suggest a pagan culture as well. So she was a middle-aged woman, buried with two knives, shears, a comb, a huge amber bead, an ammonites, a tiny, tiny, tiny pestle and mortar, a necklace made of 70 beads, made of glass, amber, and jets, and she had one of these long iron rods, the voler, which had mineral mineralized remains of bird feathers on it, Ooh. plant seeds, and finely woven textiles. So a really interesting mix of stuff there. Very kind of elaborate, isn't it? Yeah. So along with the staff, some of these objects have kind of supernatural connotations. So some literature, like Anglo-Saxon texts, suggests that jet protects against poison, amber can ease birth pains, and ammonites, known as snake stones, can guard against snake bites. So a healer, possibly? Yeah, she sounds like a healer, especially the tiny little um, pestle and mortar. Yeah, so it could be for grinding tiny, tiny medicines, maybe. Cute. Or possibly symbolic of her role, maybe. Fair. And another really interesting one is a burial from, I believe it's Fjörkat. My Danish is atrocious, so sorry. <laughs> That's in Denmark. Uh, the Fjörkat, or Fjörkat's woman. And this particular burial is from a group of 30, which had very unusual grave goods in it. Uh, she had fine blue and red clothes adorned with gold thread, so very fancy. Yeah. Buried in a carriage as well, Ooh. so a bit like the Osterberg woman, buried in her ship with her carriages and wagons. Um, also, she had the kind of standard female items, the spindle whorls and scissors, very exotic foreign items as well. She wore silver toe rings, which is quite unusual. Yeah. She had two bronze bowls from Central Asia. She had white lead, which can be used as an ingredient in skin ointment, <laughs> and a box which had owl pellets inside it, and the bones of birds and mammals. So that's a bit 
spooky. Yeah. And a silver amulet shaped like a tiny chair. <laughs> so is this like the platform, the maybe? Fair, yeah. yeah. And then she had the staff, of course, and also henbane seeds as well in a small purse. Right. So henbane is basically a hallucinogenic. Oh, <laughs> yeah. right. If you throw it on the fire, the smoke gets you a bit dizzy, can cause euphoric states, psychedelic effects... And can be an aphrodisiac as well. I mean, that sounds magical to me. Yeah. I mean, that sounds very interesting. We've we've kind of covered a lot of facets of womanhood yeah. so far, right? But I feel like we're definitely missing out on like real life, very powerful women. Yeah. So what do you think? Next episode? Let's have a story next time. I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Let's do it. Thanks for listening to that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Jorvik Group and York Archaeology, hosted by Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. Researched by Lucas Norton, produced by Miranda Schmiederer, Lucas Norton, and Gareth Henry. Sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.